if we really want to excite people, we got to get our taste scores as high as we go. And that's the intent. It's really a level of, of information that does not traditionally exist in the restaurant uh, world. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 61, and today's guest is Scott Hilton. Scott is the CEO of Wonder, an innovative way to have prepared meals delivered to your home. He describes it as on-demand dining. Scott describes himself as a fixer, and he's been a part of some of the largest e-commerce businesses in the world. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Scott Hilton. Scott is the CEO of Wonder. Previously, Scott was the Chief Revenue Officer for U.S. e-commerce at Walmart and led the teams focused on driving Walmart's business across all U.S. sites, including Walmart.com, Jet.com, Hayneedle, and others. Over his career, Scott has served in a variety of roles across companies from startups to large enterprises, including Chief Revenue Officer for Jet.com, EVP of Operations at Quidzy Inc. slash Amazon.com, and numerous roles at the Boeing Company. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Well, I really appreciate uh, you joining. Um, before we got started here for uh, our listeners, we're recording this towards the middle of uh, July 20th of 2022. We were uh, reminiscing about the start of Wonder. Uh, it's a great story. We're going to get into that uh, in a bit. And as I mentioned, um, this is my 61st show. Um, I can't imagine any other show where I've had more interest from my friends about the guest that I was interviewing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's quite an honor. And congrats on all the shows. That's, that's quite a feat. Well, thanks very much. It's been fun. I've met uh, lots of good people uh, like you and, and every, every one of them gracious with their time. So uh, the way we start this show, Scott, uh, is try to get some perspective for the uh, listeners about you know, your background, uh, how you got to where you are today. Um, and, and for the listeners, obviously, you can't see. Scott's got an amazing background uh, going right now. He's in one of the world trade businesses, and I can see the beautiful uh, New York skyline behind him. Yeah, I could even show you the Empire, or I mean the uh, Statue of Liberty down there somewhere. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, there you go. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> We're a very, very fortunate location. Uh, well, a background. So I grew up in Washington State. So uh, originally from the Northwest in a, in a city called Bellingham, Washington. Not a, not a huge city, but not super small. It was probably at the time about 50,000 folks. Probably some of my earliest memories are related to um, a business my grandfather uh, had started as a shoe store uh, business, and it was operated by my dad at the time. And I uh, very early can picture myself sitting in the back room of, of the shoe store. My dad was probably babysitting me and kind of looking around. And, and so there's, there's a, always that air of business around. And my dad would drag me around 
uh, to different things. By the time I reached high school, my dad had opened up a, a women's clothing store as well. And, and the shoe store is run by my oldest brother. And so I worked for my oldest brother selling shoes in high school and then through college and was just exposed to various you know, parts of business. I think probably one thing that, that sort of uh, was an indication of the type of work I would probably get into was I can recall my uh, oldest brother getting upset with me. He's like, stop trying to fix everything. And that's kind of uh, a lot of the roles uh, that I have and enjoy is like just really getting into, you know, running things and, and you know, solving the puzzle that sort of any business or any any operation is. From there, I um, you know, went to school uh, and then completely went into an area that was kind of unique compared to my family. I started to work for the Boeing company. I went to school uh, and got a degree in, in physics and math. Uh, my undergrad was at the University of Puget Sound. Went to grad school at Cornell uh, in engineering physics um, and then started working for the Boeing company. Um, did a variety of roles, started on a technical side of things, uh, worked on the commercial airplane side in this unit called customer engineering, product development, uh, product strategy. I was there for almost 20 years. Um, and in that process, ended up getting um, an exec MBA from work down in uh, San Francisco. They have a, a campus down there um, and would travel down every few weeks uh, for that program and met uh, a guy named Mark Laurie that some of your listeners probably have heard of or seen in the news. Uh, he, we were on the same team together. And Mark had uh, started a company at the time called 1-800-Diapers and was very small. And when we were in school, he was kind of showing us the website and everything. It was really quite fascinating. This was in 2005. And that business started to grow and he ended up leaving the program. And then a few months later, called me uh, to say, hey, why don't you come join me out in New Jersey to, to run our operations? And so I was effectively the first hire. Uh, he had a few folks he was working with to get the thing off the ground with his good buddy at the time. But I became kind of the first full-time hire uh, back in and joined in 2007. So I actually ended up leaving Boeing and I'd reached a, a really nice level of Boeing, uh, really exciting work. It was a great company at the time. And, uh, but gave that all up and did this startup, basically selling diapers uh, through, through what became diapers.com in New Jersey. And so I ran operations there. We added a lot of different uh, websites we sold that company to Amazon, uh, stayed at Amazon for a few years. And then uh, we did Jet.com. I joined Mark at Jet.com. I ran the retail team uh, for Jet.com. Uh, and then we sold that to, to Walmart and ended up, like you said at the beginning, Mark, uh, I was the um, chief revenue officer for U.S. e-commerce for Walmart, which is effectively running the retail team. So let me stop you uh, there. Uh, great, uh, great background. When you were in school, you know, this physics mathematics uh, component, you know, did you have a, uh, a thought of what you would be using physics and mathematics to do to earn a living? No, <laughs> which is kind of, uh, kind of the way I'm, I'm kind of a here and now type person. I just know I enjoyed it a lot. In fact, I went to undergrad thinking I was going to go uh, into pre-law and focus on that. I don't think I took a single pre-law class, but after a while, I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying these physics classes. So I just kind of ended up getting a physics and math degree without really planning for the future. 
Well, sometimes you don't have to, uh, you know, plan, but, uh, you know, part of uh, the listeners in the show, you know, we've kind of got a mix. We've got some, you know, early stage folks, you know, early in their career trying to, you know, create this path. And then, you know, you've got people that are more senior and, you know, trying to figure out what their next uh, role is. Lots of people that we talk to, you know, have been very prescriptive in their career. Every change that they have made, you know, brought them something new. So as you've, you know, moved through your career that you just delineated, you know, were you thinking that with each new opportunity, you helped round out your uh, profile or was it just happenstance how they came about? It's a, it's a great question. Um, and I have met a lot of folks that are, like, as you said, kind of very prescriptive. You know, I did this with the intention of doing that. Uh, for me, it was more about doing at the moment what I thought uh, I was interested in and also, you know, added value, but also keeping an eye to opportunity as it came along. And I think that's really um, kind of the angle that I saw is that is, as long as you're open to opportunity and kind of like always pushing the edges to keep those opportunities open, there's some really prized ones that come along. And, and in many cases, you know, folks that I've known uh, over the years, there are some people that let, let opportunities kind of slide by them and they don't even see the opportunity. And so it's, it's more about like keeping your eyes open uh, for me uh, in particular, as opposed to like having a very prescriptive future. It is, to, you know, the question about what, what you should do, and I get this a lot uh, from folks over the years, the question is like, well, what, what's really important? For sure, there's an element of you have to find something to do that you get excited about that's really interesting. At the same time, you, you do have to keep an eye <laughs> to make sure you go into a field that, that not only is going to be fun, but also can provide uh, rewards that you can uh, live off of as well. And, and so talking about interesting, what was it about 1-800-DIAPERS that was interesting? Well, I, I have to tell you, on the surface, it, it did not sound interesting <laughs> uh, in terms of the product selling diapers. In fact, I had to go to a grocery store. Uh, in, I lived in Seattle at the time. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what these things are. I got to walk down the grocery store aisle. I remember my, you know, my siblings using them, but I didn't really look at what, you know, what's really going on with diapers. But almost Everything is super interesting when you get into it. The thing that really attracted me to 1-800-DIAPERS and that opportunity was just running operations. A lot of the areas that I was involved with with Boeing were highly technical, but a lot of them were on the strategy development side. They weren't really in sort of hardcore operations. And I had always had this uh, kind of attraction to logistics and supply chain and stuff like that, even to, even where, where looking back, some of the odd things they, that I have done is I bought a, an exercise bike from Precor. Uh, Precor at the time was, you know, headquartered in the Northwest. They may still be, but um, there was a defect in the bike that I had. So I ended up calling and ended up getting invited out to the factory and was taking a tour of the factory floor. And we we're like, oh, here's the defect that actually created this problem. And uh, I took a tour of ERX Logistics when I bought a, a washing machine, it was delivered by them. I talked my way into letting, you know, getting a tour of the, <laughs> tour of the distribution facility. So it's kind of was always in my DNA to do that. This is before I ended up taking the, the 1-800-DIAPERS or diapers.com uh, role, but uh, it just seemed fun to me. But uh, it's more like once, once you get into any problem, it's always fascinating at the detail level. There's no free lunch on anything. Most every business, there's not easy businesses and hard businesses. They all kind of work their way to the frontier of where they're, they're creating new, uh, new things and trying to create value. 
And, and so while you were there, you worked with uh, Mark Laurie, who you referred to. Was there something about Mark that you saw in him? I mean, you've obviously worked with him, you know, in a number of different, you know, places now over the years. So, you know, he must have left uh, an impression on you. Oh, Mark, I mean, Mark's an incredible person. I'm obviously very, very smart. Um, he has this amazing ability to, to, he's a bold thinker. So he has like big visions, but at the same time, incredibly compassionate and uh, also from thinking about problems and puzzle solvings, our, our brains are kind of wired in a similar way. So uh, it's just, you know, a lot of fun to be around. And um, so further uh, after uh, 800 uh, diapers, uh, opportunity to partner again at Jet. And what was Jet's original mission when you guys started that business? You, you almost have, have to go to diapers. Uh, com. Diapers.com, uh, which turned into Quidzy, uh, was the name of the company. We started off with the site diapers.com and then added soap.com, which is almost a you know, drugstore convenience store uh, products, and then WAG for pet. And we had a number of sites and it was really building out to be a mass uh, retailer, but in a specialty way. It was, spe- it was a collection of specialty stores. You know, that ended kind of early when we sold that to Amazon. We were, we were just kind of in the beginning days of that. And so, um, in the case of uh, jet.com, there was a lot of just inefficiency, especially around Amazon with the way products, especially third product, third party products were being uh, shipped and delivered uh, to consumers. And so really the technology and the aha around jet.com was really, really building a platform that simultaneously encouraged consumers to shop in a way that created uh, supply chain efficiency. So for example, you could buy products from different retailers, of course, but you the products that would would sell from the same retailer would surface uh, while the consumer was shopping, and we'd offer a little bit of a financial incentive for them to buy products that could ship together. Uh, that was just one of the means, and so it actually is a win-win. It's better for the consumer and it's better for the retailer because they're getting more products. Uh, you know, it lowers their cost to cost to serve the customer, etc. That was the big unlock. So it was really is going to be. Uh, a mass retailer that you know solved the supply chain problem and offered an advantage to the consumer, um, but it was a very quick existence of a company. It was you know effectively two years of operations uh, from the consumer side before we ended up uh, selling that to Walmart. And and was the the sale to Walmart an opportunistic? sale? Was it because Jet wasn't achieving the kinds of goals that you were hoping that it would because of the competition with Amazon? It, it was definitely an opportunistic sale. I mean, uh, you know, we were talking to a number of investors and strategic investors, and uh, that's where the conversation started. And then Walmart just decided to buy the thing. And then uh, most of us in the company pivoted over to helping Walmart with their uh, U.S. e-commerce business. All right. And, and being part of the entrepreneurial, you know, the startup, you know, we, we have, you know, a number of folks that I've talked to that listen where their, their company early stage or, you know, just entrepreneurial has bought, been bought up by somebody that's much larger, that has expertise. How was that for you? You were further along in your career than, you know, some of the folks, but how was that for you to uh, now be gobbled up by Walmart? If you face the face, what's going on as it's, it's all different and new, uh, it was pretty good. Walmart uh, treated us very well. They they basically turned over the U.S. e-commerce business to 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 Mark, and we were all part of that same team. And so, uh, most of us had a new a new challenge at the time. It's like you know helping and and you know getting that business on a better trajectory, uh, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoyed my time at Walmart. 
we all make mistakes uh, along the way in our career. Any that stick out for you that you might want to uh, reminisce about? Mistakes. Well, I don't know if I get that's a certain level, I've made an enormous number of mistakes. <laughs> it's about trying new things and like, oh, that didn't work. Try try something different. I don't think I've. I can't think of one where it was a huge mistake. You can always do hindsight is twenty twenty. It's like, oh, maybe I should have gone to work for Amazon in the early days, but. Um, but that's, you know, that's playing the hindsight game. I don't, there's none that comes to mind. There isn't. I, I mean, I, I have some examples that, that I've used uh, over the years where they were mistakes, typically around leadership. Uh, in the early, early days, I was uh, uh, leading this team in a laboratory setting, and I made the mistake as an, as an early leader of putting someone into a role that was just beyond their capability at the time. And the effect that that had is it, it really demoralized the person over about nine months. And I kept like shrinking the role down. It was just a disaster. <laughs> it was a good learning opportunity. It was like, okay, very important to, uh, to match folks with the, the appropriate role and don't get them too far ahead or, you know, over their skis. I, I, wouldn't, I was fortunate uh, that it all ended in a, in a good place for that individual, but I was, I was fortunate to observe that early on and, and, really try to be careful about stretching people too far. It's always good to, to have people stretch, but if you really throw them into the deep end, uh, it can be a disaster. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. All right. So let's talk about the current position that you're in, the business that you're driving, Wonder. And uh, I think I said this to you, um, you know, I've done you know, a lot of shows. I talk to people, friends about uh, the shows and boy, have I gotten my local friends talking about Wonder. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit, but tell us what that business is all about. Yeah, so it is on-demand dining. Uh, we, we effectively in, internally call it, it's the next generation of restaurant chains and it's built on a mobile platform. Uh, it, to really understand it, you have to take the consumer's perspective. And so it's on-demand home dining. Uh, it's via an app. Uh, consumers can log onto the app and they would see currently 20 uh, incredible restaurants from fine dining, Bobby Flay Steak is, is one of our restaurants, all the way down to to everyday food or burgers or pizza and, and everything in between. We also have some family style restaurants that are, you know, really good, uh, good value and, and good quality. And so uh, you open the app and you would see what time those uh, restaurants would serve your food. It's usually between uh, 40 and, and 60 minutes, something in that range, or sometimes even faster. Place your order. Uh, and then in, in 10, 15, 20 minutes, a sleek state-of-the-art mobile restaurant will pull up to your home prepare and, and cook that food fresh at your door and serve it uh, piping out to your doorstep. That in a nutshell is, is the wonder business. And uh, to help people picture it that are listening that have, have never seen the truck, you know, people have said to me, geez, how do you describe it? It's kind of like one of the smaller Amazon delivery trucks uh, of that shape and size. It's purple and gray. Yeah. Yeah. But we call it beet. The color, our brand color is a beet color and gray. And it, it's, it's a Mercedes Sprinter platform. It's a sleek, 
we tried to make it as attractive as, as, as we could. They're nice looking vehicles to stand out as a brand so you can see it, but also, you know, blend in. We didn't want anything too garish right. uh, driving around the neighborhood. And you started this business uh, in my my town, uh, my yeah. hometown here, uh, <laughs> Westfield, New Jersey. So uh, help uh, identify the timeline for us. I think you were saying, you know, you started around two years ago, uh, June of, of 2020. But, you know, how did you get your start? The, the company started uh, back in September of 2018. Uh, it was a very small team kind of working on some concepts. But by the time uh, we got to the stage where we we're ready to start serving food, it was as you said, Mark, a couple of years ago, uh, June 2020 in Westfield. And we didn't have a lot of the technology built out at all. All we had at the time was a single vehicle that didn't look anything like the vehicles that we were just describing. It was like a boxy looking, you know, delivery van type thing. Um, and we didn't have the app built. So uh, we had a network of, of customers uh, that would basically pre-schedule uh, what time they wanted and what dinner. And we only had two restaurants offered and we started with like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, roll forward by the end of that summer, you know, late August, we were able to launch our app and have the on-demand experience that we, what we have today. And we only had four restaurants at the time. And since then, uh, we've continued to add restaurant chains, uh, each restaurant, uh, it's only one restaurant per vehicle, but each restaurant may have, you know, five, 10, vehicles driving around uh, in an evening. Uh, and we just continued to build it out from there. We started with, we wanted the experience for the customer to really stand out and be unique, high quality food uh, served in the right amount of time. Um, and we mostly get that right and we're continuing to, to, to make it better, but that's really the sort of the basis, uh, basis of the business. Um, since then, we've added more uh, features to Wonder. We also, we have a business uh, called Envoy it's on the same app, so consumers can log in and get the mobile restaurant business where we serve the food, cook it right at your door. But we also have all the local restaurants that uh, can be ordered with traditional courier uh, delivery right there on the app. Uh, we know that uh, the business we have is unique, and but we wanted all the local restaurants to be able to participate uh, as well in, in reaching, reaching customers in their communities. And, and having watched the business, you know, again, you know, we all have perceptions of why things happen and, and all, but having watched the business, you know, from the very beginning and hearing, you know, the pros and the cons of, of a new business concept, uh, you know, one of the things you heard early on in our town was, you know, geez, there are all these trucks, you know, riding around. And, you know, remember the timing of this for listeners, this is, you know, uh, right in the middle of COVID, uh, business, lots of businesses, you know, struggling, local businesses struggling. There was a lot of conversation about how this could potentially hurt local restaurants. So was Envoy an answer to that? Uh, we always had planned to do uh, Envoy because we knew we wanted to, we wanted to be part of the community. Uh, you know, our, our workers and everything are part of the they come from the communities and we wanted the local restaurants. We are a food and a tech company. It's all about the quality of the food. And we wanted the local restaurants to be part of that uh, as well. Uh, it was, it was for the purpose of having customers be able to like use a single app to get everything, you know, they want from a food perspective, but, but also be friendly to the communities and have the restaurants participate. One of the things that's unique to our model is because we have the traffic on the app, we don't have to spend any marketing uh, on 
you know, getting customers from a delivery platform like the delivery platforms like DoorDash and Uber Eats uh, need to do. We don't spend any marketing on that. It's just basically app uh, app marketing that allows us to you know offer that service at a little bit lower commission than what they'd pay through through the other platforms. So it's uh, it's intended to be a win win. The uh, I, I will say to uh, folks, you know, I'm I'm a focus group of of one, but you know the we've probably uh, ordered a dozen times now from uh, Wonder. And uh, you're you're (laughs) welcome. And, uh, you know, the experiences on balance have been, you know, quite good. The food is is tasty. Um, You know, I think you identified it correctly. There's some that are, you know, more more pricey and more fine dining. And we had DeFaro pizza uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and really enjoyed, you know, that. And you know, I think the taco, uh, taqueria del dia, uh, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's right. That may be the best value of, of all of the ones that we have tried. It it's, it's a really, uh, it's really a good, a good deal. I think it's a good deal. It can feed four to five folks. And for $50, uh, you can pick your protein or whatever you want, you know, uh, carnitas or, or chicken, you get a side of rice, side of beans, you can pick your tortillas. It's it's a good deal. You can add guacamole to it. Although, <laughs> as you know, Mark, I looked at your last order when you emailed the other day and noticed that we un- unfortunately left off the beans. Uh, so sorry about that. Well, you know, it, it, it that's a good segue into part of the conversation about customer service. It is very clear that you guys have devoted effort and resources to customer service. Um, I'm sure you, you, your background as an operations guy has a lot to do with that, right? It does, yeah. I mean, that we want, we want to stand out. We want our operations to run perfect every single time. We do. Unfortunately, there's the reality of the, of the world where sometimes things get missed. But yeah, we want to take care of the co- uh, consumer. We don't want any, anything to be a stressful event, right? The whole point of this is a convenience and great quality food so you can kind of enjoy the time uh, with your friends or family, whoever you're eating with, or even by yourself, just enjoying the food. And, and you know, the, the, I think the customer service, uh, the standout is, you know, look, uh, you do something a dozen times that's new, you're going to have, you know, some, you know, odds and ends. When I got your note the other day, uh, which, and I hadn't sent you anything, I just answered the survey. I was impressed. That's, that's for sure. Tell everybody about the, uh, the follow-up process. I have some other questions around, you know, the experience, but, you know, once I place my order, I get my food, there's a, uh, a closed loop on yeah. uh, surveying. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of the things we, from the very beginning, uh, we did. So we, we, after you've, uh, received your order, we try to time it. So to give you a little bit of time, we send you a survey uh, and via the app, you, you take the survey and, and you have a choice at the beginning. You can just uh, say you know, how you like the meal uh, or uh, if you want to go into a little bit more detail, detail which you did, uh, Mark, the other night, we'll offer a $5 credit off of a future meal. It goes into pretty good detail. It will take, depending on how speedy you are at the survey, you know, five, maybe up to 10 minutes where every single dish that's ordered, but we ask for what you thought of the taste, the presentation, the portion size, the value, the likelihood that you're gonna reorder and ask for commentary on that, as well as what you thought of the individual. We called our team members uh, on these vehicles, core members, chef on the road, about the hospitality, what that was like, really to try to get a, a very good picture of you know, what you think of our food. Because our intent is that every single dish is spectacular. Uh, and we know that if we really want to excite people, we got to get our taste scores as, as high as we go. And that's the intent. 
it's really a level of, of information that does not traditionally exist in the restaurant uh, world. You know, you can kind of picture sitting in a restaurant where the general manager or a chef may walk around, oh, how was your food tonight? And you mentally are doing that math is like, well, I'm not really going to tell you <laughs> what I think because I don't have the time or I don't want to offend them or whatever. We want that data. We want to know, like, what do you really think of that dish? And our culinary team, we have about 80 chefs and, and engineers and food scientists uh, in our R&D facility that literally are looking at that data all the time to try to tweak and adjust each item uh, on the menus to make it better and better and better. Uh, and we're doing it at the same time where we're also ensuring that we can prepare that food in a speedy, you know, expeditious manner too. So uh, for temperature and profitability reasons. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, the food, um, each truck represents one of the restaurants, you know, that you've uh, got. Uh, that was one of the questions that uh, some of the folks were asking me, which I was convinced that that was the case. It's one restaurant, you know, in the truck. Again, perception. Is there less food cooked from scratch in the truck than when you first started? Is there more being done centrally um, as you've evolved the business? We've always prepped and uh, in some cases par cooked the food in our central kitchen uh, ahead of time. It's kind of interesting. It's gone in cycles. The very early meals that we'd served, everything was kitted. And so all the componentry uh, typically for a meal or a set of meals was in, was, was in a kit. And then we quickly moved into breaking those things apart. And, and we've tried different things. Some of, the, some of the meals in the early days used to be kind of complicated to make. And then the more complicated it is, the longer it's going to be sitting in front of your home <laughs> preparing your food. And so we tried to streamline and simplify that mainly so we, uh, for the purpose of always getting a really good result every single time, it's got to be repeatable. All the items, so for a good example of how to think about this is, is what we do with, uh, with steaks, for example. You know, our, our steaks, if you ordered a Bobby Flay steak, they're really nice. They're cooked perfectly. You can order to whatever temperature you want from rare, medium rare, well done, whatever you prefer to eat. And it's got a beautiful sear on the outside. That steak though, we par cook uh, via sous vide in our central kitchen ahead of time uh, to get it started. And then it's finished in an impingement oven, which is up to 550 degree air and can blow up to 50 mile an hour air. And we have, we have, you know, searing plates in there that put a beautiful crust on the steak. So you wouldn't want to eat the par cook thing. It's pretty, you know, looks like a, like a raw piece of meat, uh, but <laughs> so it's partially cooked and then finished on the, on the mobile restaurant. And that's true with most of, most of the things we offer. We don't use microwaves or anything like that. It's all trusted cooking, cooking methods in the vehicle. And, and when you think about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you're doing a lot of this work centrally, this is a question that was, uh, one of my friends said to me, geez, why do they go through the trouble of having these trucks, all these, you know, the, the fixed cost of, you know, putting all these trucks on the road, why not just do it centrally? And, you know, have somebody, you know, use the app the same way and then just dispatch the delivery person from that central location with the completed meal. Well, the reason for the mobile restaurant, we call them mobile restaurants, the vehicle, is all around the consumer experience and the quality. There's so many food items that in steak, like we were just talking about, is a great example. You can't, it's not going to travel well. It needs to be, you know, served in, you know, five minutes after cooking, five to 10 minutes for to get that perfect, you know, steak experience. 
Uh, same thing with French fries to be French fries. Hot. That that was the that was the answer. That was the answer. It's yeah, all about the French, French fries. It is about the French fries. In the early days, we, we talked a lot about French fries. We started there, the consumer experience. But if you think about it, that mobile restaurant where it might be at your house, Mark, it may be going two to ten blocks away to the next place. It's just a short drive to the next order. If we had to drive all the way back to Central Kitchen somewhere and then all the way back to the next customer, it's an enormous amount of wasted time. We literally, for an evening of service, the mobile restaurant goes out and it stays in the community, it's just going door to door, you know, fulfilling the restaurant. So as more people order, if it's a really busy night, it just gets better because the order density goes up and our drive times, you know, go down. Uh, so it's, you get your food faster and it's always hot and fresh. That's the concept around is we really started with what the consumer experience is and the, the ability to not only have ultra, ultra high quality food because it's hot and fresh, but because of the way we prepare our food, we can effectively bring any restaurant or any cuisine to any uh, neighborhood. If you think about it, like a fine dining steakhouse, if you wanted to open a Bobby Flay style steakhouse in a town, it wouldn't work. The economics aren't there. It's why they're located in, in large cities. But because each one of our mobile restaurants is just a fraction of a restaurant, we can effectively bring any restaurant to any consumer. And so that you can experience Nancy Silverton's Pizzeria Moza. Uh, we have a concept from Jose Andres coming, uh, Marcus Samuelson, Bobby Flay, you know, it's or Defara Pizza you had mentioned earlier, Mark. Uh, it's a, it's a food that, that a lot of folks can't get or have never experienced that we can bring to anybody. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's great. Um, yeah, but it's all about the French fries. That's what we were saying. <laughs> it is the French fries. We're on our fourth or fifth generation of French fries. They're really good. <laughs> uh, let's talk about marketing, um, you know, and, and, and how you get the name out. Um, obviously you have these big billboards of trucks, uh, and how many communities did you say you were in now? We're in 25 or we'll be in 25 soon. Yeah. It's probably right now it's 24. And ballpark, how many trucks do you have on the road? How many uh, mobile restaurants do you have on the road? We can uh, uh, push out about about 200. It, it varies by night depending on which match to demand. That's the one, of, one powerful thing about our model is uh, we only need to put out the number of mobile restaurants to meet the demand. So we don't have excess capacity. Right. And, and, you know, I, I obviously don't want you to, you're not going to say anything that's proprietary, but, you know, one of the things we've been talking about, uh, a, a mobile restaurant is out on the road from roughly 4.30 to 8.30 local time, give or take. Yeah, we stagger them to meet the demand of when they, when they go out there. So depending on the restaurant, uh, they open up around 3.30, some of the earlier ones. And then during a normal weekday, 8.30 is when you can place your last order. Although, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you can order up until 10 o'clock for, uh, for a select number of restaurants. An average truck can do how many tickets over the course of an evening? It, it really depends on the, on the cuisine and the size of the order. The Bobby Flay vehicles will do uh, fewer orders. Fewer. Than, yeah, but they can do a lot. <laughs> Good. Well, well over 10 uh, on some, but on average, uh, it, it's, it's less than that. But that's something where we're, as we get better and better and faster and faster and order density goes up, it, it all works together to eventually it's limited by how much food you can store on the, on the mobile restaurant. Right. Uh, so let's go back to the marketing. So CRM, yeah. uh, because I'm a customer, you know, yeah. I've, I've uh, been part of just about everything that you guys are, are doing. <laughs> You've seen a lot of our experiments. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, honestly, I, I, uh, I'm a marketer, uh, an e-commerce guy, and, you know, I love some of the things that you do that are timely. You know, I get push notifications at, you know, four or five o'clock on a Saturday night. 
Um, and I don't know if that's driven by when I have previously, you know, placed orders or that's just a peak time for when you would think people are starting to, uh, to, to think about dinner. But uh, tell us a little bit about some of the marketing techniques that you guys are using. Sure. Yeah. So in general, the way we started uh, is that our, our thought process is that we needed to seed the market with awareness to get it going. Like if you imagine if we're starting from scratch in a, in a new town where no one had ever heard, heard of us, uh, the concept is we believe that with something like, you know, traditional, like a direct mail, so we could hit every single household, that would start the awareness process. And then as we began service in the town, the vehicles or the mobile restaurants driving around effectively are free outdoor advertising. And so you've got that, you got a traditional like direct mail, and then you've got the free outdoor uh, advertising. And that's, that's really the, the core of where we started. You know, think that's going to be the long-term playbook. Very, very uh, cost-effective. Uh, CAC is extremely low. Uh, cost of, to acquire customers is extremely low in that, in that world. And then uh, we've been experimenting with a lot of different things of, of what to do uh, when. We've, tr we've tried a, a lot of stuff in the early days uh, in, in the northern part of the town that you're in. We actually did a door-to-door -door, uh, campaign just to see how responsive that would be. We do push notifications. We do email. Uh, people can join wait lists uh, if they're outside of our area. So they're they're fairly traditional things. But I think the one unique thing that that we've tried to do from the beginning is because we're very hyper local. It's all about the local. Is when we go into an area, we have a pretty good, accurate representation of how many households are in that area. And we, we do look at every single household and look at the consumer behavior. And if, you know, if they've stopped ordering, we try to uh, re-engage them. Uh, or if they've never ordered, we'll go to, to more expensive techniques uh, to get those consumers. One of those techniques that we've tried is uh, even doing direct mail with video mailers. We send a, a video mailer that has a, has a really, really, I don't know if you've got one of those. No, I, I did not. I don't know. <laughs> but it has a nice you know, video that plays. It really like shows the food and kind of tells the whole story. And then it has a return label included. You just send it back to us and we recycle those, re reuse them again, uh, clean them up and use them again. That works pretty well as well. So we've tried a bunch of different techniques. Um, there's nothing, we're, we're always looking for what's the most effective way to do it. And we've even tried other outdoor advertising too. That's generally not in our playbook. I don't know. I can't remember if we did it in Westfield, but some train stations we put, we put signs up. The core playbook is literally just uh, direct mail originally and then the outdoor, advertise, outdoor advertising. One unique thing, though, I, I would say this, Mark, from the very beginning, we wanted to see the pure signal from the consumer value prop. We wanted to see how people uh, were reacting. And so we didn't offer any promotions or credits uh, to consumers. And we generally don't. We're just now starting to experiment to say, hey, can we, can we change the, the trajectory of growth in certain markets by, by doing acquisition type offers. But we generally strayed away from that early on because we wanted to see the, the pure response. And the response was so much higher than we originally anticipated. For example, in the Northern part of Westfield, it's like the vast majority of people have ordered from us. Um, that it was so much higher than we expected. We we're like, whoa, we, we don't even need to do, <laughs> to do anything. Coming from e-commerce where you're doing a, a national program, you, we, we were always spending, you know, you know, to the efficient level of, of spend in multiple channels to, to acquire customers. So this was a very, a little bit of a different, a uh, different thing, just given the response to the value prop. It seems like a very heavy, I just know personally, it's a very heavy word of mouth uh, thing, getting people talking yeah. 
that's our biggest, that's our biggest uh, method is word of mouth. Yeah. Yep. I did see you do uh, something in the Short Hills Mall. Um, you know, you had a, uh, what, what, essentially a truck, you know, a restaurant in there. I walked in one day. I was like, wow, that's really uh, bold. <laughs> we did. We did. And we, like, we've experimented with a lot. And that's the, that's kind of uh, the call. Our, our values are mastery, compassion, and courage. And so in the mastery value, we're constantly experimenting and trying new things to, to really you know, really try to perfect everything we do from marketing to, you know, the quality of our food. Well, th this is really interesting. You can tell that I'm interested in your business. I, <laughs> I think it's uh, fascinating what you guys are doing and um, I could spend all day talking to you, but we have to uh, end the show. So I, I do a, a two minute drill. There's uh, seven questions, one or two word answers, uh, most everybody can't stick to one or two words, but we, I say that anyway. Oh, do I get, do I, does anyone, has anyone done one or two words? Nah, not, not really. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So I won't, I could be the first, but I, I probably won't be able to answer all your questions. So. <laughs> all right, here you go. All right. A brand that you admire or that inspires you. Oh, wow. This, this is going to be very ordinary, but I've always been impressed with Apple. Uh, I just continue to admire that brand. Okay. A favorite app on your phone. And I know where it is already. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I have to say Wonder. So without you know, Wonder, taking that one off the table, of course. But um, yeah, I have to, I'm going to give two. I'm going to cheat. The app that has the most utility, believe it or not, is Apple Notes. Very simple app. But I've used it for years extensively. The app that I really enjoy the most was sort of a guilty pleasure is one called Flight Radar 24. It shows live, going back to my Boeing days, it shows live aircraft flying over it. It's really a fun app. Like you see an airplane flying, you open it up, it'll tell you exactly what that airplane is, how high it is, where it's going. I think that would scare me to see all the, the you know, flights superimposed. It's kind of like when I do uh, flight aware or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last website, other than Amazon, that you shot. Other than Amazon. That's, that's a good, good uh, correction there. I recently bought a pair of shoes from uh, directly from the brand Ufos. I don't know if you've heard of that, that brand. They're kind of, uh, they're soft. I had a little bout with uh, plantar fasciitis. And so my brother recommended these shoes and they're, they're great. Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were. I wish I spoke a second language better. Okay. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. I'm not sure it goes to the level of passion, but um, Jose Andres, uh, World Central Kitchen is just very inspiring. I, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on that and I'm following it closely. It's just impre so impressive what they do. It's just incredible. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh, the one I want to be or the one that I have? Well, the one that you, uh, what would it be if you had one? <laughs> if I had it, but it choose a superpower that's not real. I'd love to fly, be able to fly a Superman. If it's uh, like a business superpower, I think my superpower is probably the ability to, I'm just kind of a systems thinker, the, the ability to, to think very strategically high level, but also dive right down into the, the level of detail needed to, to perfect operations. Into the weeds. That's the uh, weed. my, my, uh, my LLC is uh, details interactive. Um, and the interactive term is probably dated by now, but when I came up with the name, it was because, you know, the devil's in the details. And it is uh, absolutely. That, part of the theme of this uh, show. And lastly, other than family, what's your most prized possession? I don't really have, have a lot of prized possessions. The one thing that pops into my mind, I will say this, is when I was growing up uh, and in high school, I was given, I played trumpet and I was given uh, a new trumpet. Um, and I really cherished that trumpet. I still have it. 
Uh, that's probably the one thing I don't play it anymore, which is a bad, a sad thing, but, uh, that was probably my most prized possession. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, Scott, this was really enlightening, uh, lots of fun and, and interesting, uh, for me. Uh, thank you again for being so gracious with your time and also, uh, humoring me in, in our, uh, emails and conversations about your business. Uh, um, you know, I, I think that uh, your business is in very good hands if you, uh, you all are offering the kind of customer service that, you know, I've experienced. Oh, well, thank you, Mark. And thanks for being a customer. And I enjoyed the discussion. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Scott Hilton for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, do not let opportunity pass you by. Scott and I were talking about his career and its progression. Although he did not have a structured plan like many people do, he found that by taking some chances and being open to listening to new opportunities, he's been able to craft a very successful career. Number two, we talk about customer service on this show frequently, and Wonder is another example of a brand that's aggressively seeking out customer feedback. They offer customer surveys after each experience, but unlike many companies, they're working hard to action what they hear, whether it be new food types or better information on the app. They're letting the customers help drive the roadmap for enhancements. And number three, an oldie. Try new things and do not be fearful of making mistakes. Companies that craft a culture of allowing people to fail will ultimately be rewarded with new thinking and new programs to either drive revenue or reduce costs. As the employee, push yourself to take some reasonable risks, whether it be in your job or in your career as a whole. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact, and learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.